This segment of the podcast is sponsored by Traveling Knees Experiences, here to help you create new memories one experience at a time. When you're comfortable and ready to travel again, contact Traveling Knees Experiences at travelingkneesexperiences.com. That's the word traveling, N-E-S-E, experiences.com. They are ready to create your next memorable experience. Welcome to the What A Word podcast, a podcast where you can be encouraged, inspired, and uplifted. Join us weekly as we have real conversations with real people overcoming real obstacles. We guarantee you that as you tune in weekly, you will join us in saying, wow, what a word. And now here's your host, Ryan Sharp. Man, I'm excited. My wife gave me a wonderful introduction. Now, fellas, listen. You remember when you dated the lady that you're now married to? Didn't you used to save her voicemails on your phone and play them over and over? I did that. So the fact that my wife's voice is now serving as the introduction for the podcast has me on cloud nine. Thank you so much, Christine, for introducing me. It's truly a partnership. She encourages me so much behind the scenes. And I am overjoyed, as you can probably tell. (laughs) But um, I have a lot to give God thanks for. I have so many blessings, unexpected blessings every day. And I plan to do a better job of keeping note Do you have a lot of unexpected blessings? How do you keep them fresh in your mind? Please drop me a line. Let's encourage each other. Life has a way of throwing us a lot of curveballs and giving us uh, challenges and disappointments and sadness. But every day, they are unexpected blessings and I'm so thankful. Now, I'm thankful also for you, my listeners, for the fact that you check in, you rate, you subscribe, you share, you give feedback. This podcast would be nothing without your support. And I'm so thankful for you. I want to talk to you about my guest today. Just give you a little introduction. He's a good friend of mine, Javon Boxill. Javon Boxill currently serves as the Senior Budget Analyst for the Westchester County's Budget Department. He came to the United States at six years of age. He was born in Mandeville, Jamaica. And we're gonna chop it up. We have a lot of catching up to do, but he shares a lot of gems, a lot of nuggets. Uh, A very soft-spoken young man, but he shares wisdom every time he has an opportunity. A lot of nuggets. Thank you for joining. Thank you for sharing in advance. Welcome, my guest, Javon Boxill, to the Water Word Podcast. Good morning, good morning. So, Javon, tell listeners a little bit about your family, your early childhood. Um, Yeah, just, I have a similar story to uh, many people growing up in Wakefield. It's a heavily... uh, Caribbean community. So I came here as a small child, my parents pursuing the American dream. And they instilled in me at an early um, time that education was the key. My father used to take me to the library often. And it's one of the things that I remember as a kid most that we, we, that was our, our time together, the library visits. He would walk us down to the library and pick out a book and and it was never, uh, you know, a chore for me. It was always a, a fun time because maybe he tricked me into believing that it was fun. But over time, I enjoyed those those moments with my dad at the library, and it, it it sparked my love for reading. It sparked my love for for knowledge. You know, just always pursuing information and to just learn more. So yeah, that that's how it started. Do you have significant memories about coming here at six? Does anything stick out in your mind? Uh, 
as coming here in six, let's see. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember. <laughs> Is it funny the things that you remember as a kid? I remember going to school and wanting to sound like the other kids, you know, because here you are, you just come up from Jamaica and you have an accent and, you know, some of the kids make fun of the way you pronounce certain words and what someone said to me, I never forget this, why are you saying vegetable? It's vegetable. <laughs> and I, and you, you, you grow up thinking it's a bad thing, you know, to be different, you know, or not sound like the rest of the kids. And that, you, you, you remember that from a young age and maybe you, you try to assimilate. Kids definitely, you try to assimilate. And, but overall, I, my childhood was, I would think it was a pleasant experience. I always had, you know, good friends, good family, and my family always kept me close. So my childhood was definitely something rememberable in a good way. Did you identify early what you wanted to do as an adult in terms of your career? Do you remember oh, at six, at that age, what you wanted to do? At six, I wanted to be um, a zoologist. <laughs> I wanted to study animals and I had an animal set. I had lions and tigers and bears and figurines all over my house. And my parents indulged me. They, I, I said I wanted these toys. I didn't want guns and cars. I wanted animals. So, and they indulged me. So, yeah, I started off as a, maybe a little nerd growing up. When you had other siblings, where did you fall in, in terms of the age groups? With so, I had, a, had an older brother, you know. He's, uh, we're close in age, two and a half years apart. And my sister, she wasn't around yet because she's eight years younger than me. So, at that time, she wasn't here. And tell us a little bit about your parents. Obviously, your bio indicates that they were born in Jamaica, but what were, what are, in terms of careers, what, what were your parents doing when they came to the U.S.? In Jamaica, or, they, they were both educators. They met at um, Teachers College in Mandeville, so they were both teachers. Um, that's where they met. But as I'm um, coming to America, um, you know, when you just get here, they both did odd jobs and stuff. My mother went back to school and eventually they settled in. My mom became a social worker. She worked for the government, CPS for some time and um, worked in other social work fields. And my father, he, um, he stayed with the same company um, where they, he's a, as an engineer technician for a company that makes um, prosthesis, falls arms and legs and stuff, mostly for children. So. It, it was um, always an interesting thing going to his job and seeing the little braces for infants and toddlers and stuff. So it was always a kind of a sad but inspiring job, you know, because you see all these kids in needs and it's kind of like out of the picture. You never see that side. But yeah, there's a, a whole factory just for children with disabled limbs, disabled legs, disabled, you know, bodies. So yeah, that's what he did. And there came a point when the family moved to Mount Vernon? Mount Vernon, yes. Um, during my, I would say my halfway through fifth grade, which would have been uh, my last year in elementary school, I moved to Mount Vernon. But I, I continued, I finished out my year there in the Bronx. And then I went to sixth grade, which is also the last year of elementary school in Mount Vernon. And uh, yeah, that, that's, that's what, I think that was 1996. How was Mount Vernon different from memory anyway, from the Bronx? Um, it's similar, you know, to be honest, it's very similar because I guess sometimes in the Bronx, we, we have the reputation of being tough. The kids are, are tough. They're maybe fights, they are unruly sometimes, but I didn't see, we moved to Mount Vernon and it was kind of similar. The, it was, it was, it was, the kids were just as tough. <laughs> so, but again, I always had a good experience. I had good friends. My family kept me close. So I stayed away from temptations and whatever activities that could have probably got me in trouble. But I, I, I owe that to, I guess, my parents, the way they guided me. And public school obviously has you know, its own reputation, but did you have teachers who identified something special in you that you remember? 
Oh yeah, I had a, a couple of teachers. I had some in middle school that um, wanted to make sure that I didn't get caught up because they felt that I can do, you know, maybe I was special in some ways or as far as my abilities or my, my love for reading and my writing skills at, at that time. So yeah, there were a couple of teachers that pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, I see you hanging around with X, Y, and Z person, you know, make sure that you don't get caught up or make sure you don't find yourself in trouble. So yeah, there were definitely teachers like that, that I, looking back, you know, at the time, you, you don't like being singled out, you know, but at the time, but looking back now, it's it, maybe it saved me or maybe, you know, it steered me in the right way. And would you describe yourself as being a good student or did that come over time? Um, I was always a good student, um, but I was always the lazy student. Mm. Um, so I kind of got by by just kind of being smart <laughs> to say, you know, I don't know how else to put it, but yeah. Um, the bare minimum, as my, my, my father would say, he's like, you know, you're going to get to a point where that bare minimum is not going to get you by anymore. And, you know, I said, look, I got a 90 in the test. Or I said, well, you could have got a 100 if you actually studied. So that was middle school and high school. Yeah, so maybe it didn't reach until college when I started really buckling down and saying and, and studying. Yeah, so. And, you and so what was high school like? High school. High school was cool. Um, high school, same thing. A lot of outside influences, you know, temptation, just like anyone else. But I, I never really got caught up in that. You know, it was just, I went to school, did my work. I played a little basketball, freshman year and junior year. Freshman to sophomore year, I played some basketball. And, but high school was a good experience as well, I, I think. Uh, and I, oh, I had a couple of good teachers that I had a physics teacher who was very inspiring, Miss ATN. She always pushed you. Um, my math teacher, um, Mrs. Campbell. Miss Campbell, when she first came to that school, I, I, uh, I hated her because she was so tough. But again, pointing you into the right direction. And Mr. Graviano, my biology teacher, he made me he made me love science. <laughs> he made me really fall in love with science because, and he, he, he made me feel as if that if I really applied myself, there's nothing that I couldn't do. So those were some inspiring teachers who pulled you aside and made sure that you knew your ability and you knew what you were capable of doing and, and not to let it go to waste. So yeah, that was my experience during high school. Awesome, man. And then obviously, once one is done with high school comes the decision-making process. Among them, whether to stay local or to go away to school. Did you go away to college? I, my first year, I went to um, SUNY Purchase. I, went, I did one semester, well, actually one year at SUNY Purchase. And it was an interesting experience. But I got there, and it was kind of a little bit of a culture shock because if anyone knows anything about Purchase, it's, it's a really artsy school. Most of the, half of the kids are there for acting or some type of um, music performance or something like that. That's what they go, to, go there for. So when I got there, I mean, if you know anything about entertainment business, it's a very liberal school. So it, it was a little different from um, what I was used to, like coming from Mount Vernon, but it was, I enjoyed it. Um, kids were there, they were nice. The only thing is that, um, a lot of people don't know this, that my first year purchase, I saw a sign on the wall, it said um, basketball tryouts. So I went there and I'm like, hey, basketball, I love basketball, I tried out. Turns out that half of the team was, um, the, the freshmen were recruited and the rest were, you know, returning players and I had no idea that SUNY Purchase even recruited at that time. So I thought, so I went there and I, I did my best to try it out. And I was the only one that, only one that made it. I was the only walk-on that year. So it, I was all happy and, you know, I made the basketball team, but they move you into the senior dorms and it's a struggle, you know, being a student athlete, to be honest. And because there's a lot of partying that goes on in the senior dorms. There's a lot of, um, 
away time, you're, you're on the road. There's a lot of practice. We used to have practice at 6 a.m. before classes. So we got to lectures and you're sleeping, you're falling asleep in class. So needless to say that academic wise, my first semester, it was, it was a struggle. It was definitely, it was a struggle. And, and I'm like sending it to myself, this is SUNY Purchase. I'm not leaving here to go to the MBA or anything. I'm not on a scholarship. I'm a walk-on, you know, I'm not, not like some of the other students. So there was no benefit for me to, you know, put, put basketball in front of my academics. So I, I transferred that year. I went to Lehman College and and I didn't, I, I didn't look at any of those basketball tryouts or anything like that. I just made sure that I studied and got these. So that's what I did. What were you thinking in terms of career pursuit when you were in Lehman, if any? Did you identify then a career no. choice? No, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know at that time. Um, I took a lot of um, accounting classes at first because Lehman has a huge uh, accounting program. I, I took everything, to be honest, but I had no idea. It was not until I think my junior year, I, had, um, I took business law, business law one, and the professor was, a, was an attorney. And he just, he just pulled me aside. He said, you really have the aptitude for this. You know, you're my best student and my best student that I've had in a, a long time. And you know, obviously you get A's in this class. He's like, have you ever thought about applying to law school? And I'm like, Nah, never thought about it because <laughs> at that time I, I knew no lawyers, no lawyers in my family, no lawyers really at church that I knew, no one. So it's not something that was really on my radar. But he said, listen, you have the grades for it. Um, I'll help you with the application process if it's something that you're interested in, but you should really think about it. And we did that. We worked on it together and we got into law school and that's where it happened. And your bachelor's was in economics? Economics, yep. Okay. Um, so law school application process done, help with help from the professor? Correct. Uh, which schools did you get into? Um, um, if any? A lot of schools, a lot of schools, um, Pittsburgh, um, a lot of schools out of state, American. Um, but I ended up going to Albany because they offered me um, a good deal as far as um, scholarship wise. And how was the law school culture oh. as compared to Lehman? Culture. <laughs> well, there was diver zero diversity that, that I can say. In my graduating class, I think we had under five black students out of, um, I think, a class of 200 and something that graduated. Five, if that many. So yeah, it was, it was, um, it, it definitely was a shock when you first got there. And at sometimes you, you do feel a little um, isolated because you, you, you know, when you get there, there, there's clicks and the study groups don't, they, you never get invited to the study groups. They have, they're very secretive with their information. Sometimes they hide books in the library that are, you know, so if you're not in one of those cliques, it's like, you just have to fight for yourself almost. But overall, um, law school, um, I'm glad that I went, you know, it, it opens your mind to, to, to a different way of thinking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And did you identify an area of law you wanted to go in? Because obviously you have the, the economics background, you know, math, you're right. good with math. Right. I mean, business was always my thing. Um, tax, tax law was mm -hmm. um, uh, one of the subjects that I did well in. It was not sure why, but you know, people hated tax law, but something that I, I excelled at. But yeah, pretty much most of the, the business law classes, those were the things that um, I saw myself pursuing after law school. And then what happens after law school? You graduate. What are your next steps after that? Graduate. I took this job working at um, teaching a criminal justice course in, in BOCES. So mm. it was interesting. Um, <laughs> what is BOCES? I've heard the term and I'm familiar with it a little bit, but tell BOCES, listeners what BOCES is. BOCES is like an alternative school. Not, necess not, not in that way. It's an alternative school for students who are interested in doing um, trades. So a lot of it is um, technical, like plumbing or carpenter work or, you know, those kind of things. Um, even, 
even they do like computer programming and, and, and things of that nature. But they also offered a, a criminal justice program for um, there. So it, it was new and there was an opening. So I said, I need a job. Student loans is kicking in. So, hey, you know, so this is, I took that job. It Students was, were motivated. They were very inspiring. I learned more from them probably than they learned from me because, you know, uh, beyond the curriculum that you can teach them, they really opened up my eyes. And, and you know, it, it wasn't so long for me being in those very seats because I had mostly 11th and 12th graders. So you're talking about 17 and 18 year olds, you know, and at that time I'm, I'm in my 20s, you know, so they, a lot of times they're looking at me at like a peer. So, but they all had different aspirations and different goals. And I had, I had a large like um, immigrant population in the BOCES and some of them, their parents came from Mexico and they were, um, you know, they were first generation, but these students were so resilient, been through so much stuff and they were just there to learn. They were so eager to, you know, do their best. They were, it, it, it was, it was, it made me think that some of our setbacks that we have, that we have no excuses, you know, because here are these students, you know, without the, the same kind of structure, without the same kind of resources, and they're knocking it out the park. So it, it definitely opened up to my eyes to what people can do when they, they want to do it and they're inspired to do things. So yeah, work, working at Bolsies was definitely a time that I think I needed it. I think I needed to be there and um, just get things in perspective. And I think it's significant and the significance can't be lost that you are African-American and that probably inspired a lot of those students too, because they're seeing somebody who looks, you know, who they can relate to. Absolutely. And, and I've heard them say that. They've said that to me. A lot of them have said that to me. You know, some of them saying that, you know, you're my only teacher that, that I can relate to, you know. And I'll, I'll remember, at BOCES, a lot of these students, you know, they're, they're there because they're, they're, they haven't, they're, or they're struggling in the traditional, you know, academic settings, or they just chose that, you know, maybe the, the traditional academic route is not for them. So, but yet they're there and they're motivated and I couldn't ask for anything better, you know, just students that are, when I'm speaking, they're just open, they're just ears are listening and and we had some great discussions about the law in, in those classes. I mean, I, I had no, I, the only way I knew how to teach the class was how I was taught in law school. So, you know, we had great discussions in that class. Do you know offhand if any of those students ever landed or journey for <laughs> I, them? I, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. And I, but yeah, that's a, that's a good, maybe I could acquire, I, I'm not even sure how to even reach out to any of them, but. No, I, I don't know where their paths took after that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you're trying to find your way, obviously, graduated. Are you looking at clerkships or trying to work for a firm or trying to yeah, go all solo? Things, all of those things are, are, are things that you look into. Um, mm -hmm. I, I was, uh, at the same time, I was working in, in the politics. Um, I was helping out on some campaigns and, and, and those things. Um, which I think eventually led me to my, my, my next job. Um, you were working in the community of Mount Vernon or? I, w I was. Okay. I was, okay. I was, uh, working on a couple of people's um, personal campaigns. So, in what capacity? Um, a volunteer, you know, mm. just volunteering at, at some points, just going door to door, answering phone calls, you know, doing, you know, phone banking, whatever it need be, you know. And what what's funny about that is that I, I didn't do that with a willing heart. <laughs> I did that because my father told me to do it. And that was the only reason why, you know, he said, hey, this, I know such and such person, they're running for um, this office. I want you to go down there and volunteer. And I'm like, I'm like, uh, why? I, I don't really want to do that. And he said, just do it. You know, you have some free time, so just go ahead and do it, you know? And I did it because that was the only reason my father told me to do it. And so, yeah, but eventually I think that landed me my job in the, in the controller's office. Um, besides that, the fact that I would, 
I was qualified. I had, um, you know, the, the education, the, the law degree, as well as the, the business aspect and the accounting. But um, they wouldn't have known who I was had I not volunteered on the campaign, right? So it, it worked out for me. And it was just a, a, a situation where I guess my obedience um, was, it, it, it paid out for me. Walk us through the steps to getting to that point, because obviously you're volunteering, but were there were there other things you had to do to qualify to be in that position? Um, well, yes, because there was a there was a seat that opened up. Okay, so I was volunteering for Marine Walker. She was the she was running for re-election as controller, and she has been the controller for the city of Mount Vernon for at this point, I think. Uh, 18 years or 16 years, a long time, <laughs> spanning more than almost two decades. So she's been in office for a long time, but you never can take it for granted because um, anything can happen. And she did have a, 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 an opponent at that time. But so I went out, we, um, we put on the Marine Walker t-shirts. We sat there, we made calls to, you know, constituents in the, in, in the city. But uh, after that, you know, she got reelected. I went back to work <laughs> and nothing, you know, heard anything from her. And you weren't you doing went back to work at BOCES? BOCES. I was still working okay. At gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, nothing really, you weren't saying, all right, if I do this, I get a job. Or you didn't even, I, I didn't think at that time that it could possibly pan out to a job, but there, there was something that opened up. It was actually a civil service position within the controller's office and it was a um, senior accountant. So you got to test civil service rules provide that it's open and competitive, meaning that the top three scorers, people that come in the top three will be eligible, you know, so the, the controller can pick from those three. So uh, luckily I scored in the top three and there were two positions open. So I'm like, awesome. I'm definitely gonna get one, you know, she, she remembers me and I did a lot of work for her and my father, did some work for her and you know she was good friends with my father and she always she always um appreciated the efforts that you know that he she appreciated the fact that she even he even got her his family out there to support her so yeah um but there was one she she hired someone for the first position and it wasn't me and i was disappointed <laughs> i was very disappointed and i said um wow all this work we did was kind of for nothing and my father said oh don't worry about that you know and the second position, she, I heard that um, through the grapevine that she hired someone else for the second one. So I'm like, wow, out of the three people and two slots open, I couldn't have gotten one of them. You know, and I'm like, man, that's, that's a real, you know, punch to the gut. <laughs> so yeah. And I you were just someone. hoping to get a senior accounting job. Is that what the hope was? I was hoping because I tested for this spot. I did my part. I scored in the top, you know, and I'm saying, and, and this is how, it, when you're disappointed, you start to say, well, are these folks more qualified than me? You know, did they do as much work as I did? did you know, these are the things that you start questioning and, you, and, and you're disappointed. But a few weeks later, I got a call from her. She said to, um, to come in. And she said, how do you feel about um, being my first deputy? And I said, what do you mean? Wow. So, uh, being the deputy controller, I'm like, to be second in charge running the whole office. So I, I thought it was a joke at first. She said, no, are, are you ready? I mean, can I depend on you? And I said, yes. I mean, in, my, in myself, <laughs> I, I was doubting myself. I wasn't sure if like, she could. I, I, didn't, I didn't envision those kind of responsibilities, but I said yes, but in my heart, I was like, I don't know, you know. Because this is better than expected. This is, this is great. This yeah, is yeah, awesome. yeah. This is something I couldn't envision by right. any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I would have been just a worker in the office, but now, I mean, I'm, I'm running the office, you know, and that, that's something that, I mean, praise to God that it was a wonderful opportunity. And it was something, I, I learned so much during that time. I learned, I took the job, I came in there and... I sat. I started sitting in meetings with the with the commissioners. You know, I, I met with on a, almost a daily basis. I'm talking to the police commissioner. I'm sitting with DPW commissioner. I'm sitting with the fire chief, the fire commissioners, and 
this is a regular basis. And I realized that, number one, I was the, the youngest person in the room all the time, you know. And, but I, it, it made me pray a lot. It made me pray a lot because for what I thought that I didn't have, my abilities or where my shortcomings, I just said, Lord, just take care of it, you know. Speak for me in this meeting, handle this, you know. And it worked out. It definitely worked out. Javon, if you could walk listeners through what's happening here, because give them an idea of the population of Mount Vernon, the controller's role, and your role as the first deputy. Okay. So we have, um, on the books, we have a population of about 70,000, 70, closer to 80,000 folks. And the controller is in charge of all the city's finances. So we collect the taxes um, for all property owners, all property taxes. And this is basically how the city is run. From the taxes, we, we fund the police department, the street cleanups, that DPW, your fire protection, all of that is basically allocated by the decisions made in the comptroller's office. So it's, it's a huge responsibility. It's a, it's a huge task. And um, some days it's, it's a, it, it can be daunting, but um, I always um, embraced it and, and God got me through it. You know, it definitely was a, a, a great experience and a great um, way to learn and meet new people in the, in the city of Mount Vernon. So you've identified the meetings with uh, police commissioners and other officials right. in Mount Vernon. But what was your day-to-day -day like? Day-to-day, um, -day, it was um, it was keeping track of keeping track of spending, keeping um, yeah, keeping track of um, department spending, the allocations, and, and and budgeting, budgeting, just making sure that departments got what they needed or or kept spending to what we allocated. So. However that may be, sometimes they come in, they, they ask for, we need five new police cars and we'd have to have a discussion of how we're gonna pay for that. You know, th th that was a day-to-day -day, day, um, day -day conversation. So th that's why I would be meeting with the commissioners because you know, the, the, the city needs things to, to run where it may be fire trucks, police cars, or pencils and papers, you know, printing, you know, ink. So yeah, it, that, that's what I did on a day-to-day. You were essentially the face of the controller's office. Is that too big an assumption? Um, it, no, no. It's I mean, obviously the controller was elected, but um, day to day, um, I I was the one meeting with those folks. Um, when DPW needed something, they would call and I would speak to them, and we we find out what they needed and have some type of resolution for them. So, so yeah, um, I guess that's fair to say. I mean, a lot, a lot of those folks, um, to this day, I, I'm sure they wish that I was still there. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I definitely was one of the faces, or if not the face of the office at the time. And I've heard that um, many individuals, especially in the real estate community, have interacted with you. What role did you play in terms of auctions, etc.? All right. So, as you know, um, whenever folks are severely behind in their taxes, the city probably, the city has the, the right to come in and um, retrieve that property. So those, those, those properties become ownership of the city and we try to offload them at auction because that, that seems to be the fairest and most equitable way because, hey, you can sell it to someone you know, or you can do it in public where everyone can have a chance at it. So I, I, I I like the auction idea where everyone has a, a fair shot of buying uh, a property. So yeah, uh, I did an auction. I think that was my second year in the controller's office and it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work because we didn't have an auctioneer, you know, the city has a small budget. We didn't have a, a, a large, you know, team of attorneys to, you know, go through the deeds and stuff. So. A lot of that stuff I had to do by myself or whatever help that I got from um, the, the law department and such. But yeah, it was, it was a big task. And we ended up 
I think it was about 20, 20, 21 or 24 properties that we sold. The city took in maybe almost $3 million in revenue. And it, it definitely was a success. It was the largest auction the city ever had. So it was something that I was, I was definitely proud of. It was, I was definitely proud of what we were able to do. And what happens is those, those properties who, some of them may be abandoned, some of them been sitting on the, the city's books for a long time, we end up paying for them. We end up paying the school taxes on them. We end up paying the county tax. So offloading them, what happens, people renovate those properties, they're back on the tax roll, and it's, it's just a win-win for the city, the neighbors who live in that area, because if, you know, if they're occupied and renovated, obviously your property value goes up as well. So it, it's definitely a good idea. It's a definitely a good way to re revitalizing the city as well as lowering the tax burden for everyone else. And what I don't want listeners to miss is the, I would call it a pinch myself moments, because obviously you're in Lima and a professor says to you, I think you have the aptitude for law school. Right. You apply, you're teaching at BOCES, mm -hmm. just trying to find your way. And now suddenly, not suddenly, but as a, because of a series of events, you're volunteering, et cetera, you now land a position as first deputy controller. Right. What's going through your mind? How did you identify this course in terms of your trajectory? At every, every step. Um, my disappointments turned out to be a blessing because I wanted to have a steady job, you know, and I was told no for the senior accountant and I became, you know, second in charge of the city's finances. And yeah, there's sometimes you just really have to thank God and count your blessings because that's not what was my plan. Obviously that, but my plan was too small. You know, my plan was, but what God had in store for me was just a lot bigger than what I could ever envision. So yeah, you definitely take a step back and say, you know, be thankful. And working in the controller's office, it's such a good thing where you're walking down the street of Mount Vernon, you're walking in your own city where you went, you know, you were raised and you went to school and people recognize you and, and people are, are grateful for what you do and people are appreciative of your, your efforts. And it, there's no better feeling than that. And how long did you serve in that capacity as first deputy controller? I was there from um, 14 to 18, January of 18. And describe for listeners um, what you're doing now and how did you end up in that role? <laughs> All right, so that's, that's a story in itself. So um, the controller, my boss, is an elected seat. And she was there for many, many years. and. Um, the election of 17, she lost. It was the biggest upset. People were surprised. They didn't think that she could lose, but she did. So January with the, of the new administration, I was let go. And it was, it was a, it was a hard, it was a difficult, but it was a blessing in disguise because when I was there for that one month, um, and without wanting to say anything bad about my former boss, the, the new controller, it it was a very mentally trying time. That one month I was there, you you never knew what day it was. You know, it was um, some days you went into work and it just wasn't like it used to be. It was it was stressful. It was very stressful, and I never felt that kind of stress or anxiety going into work every day because. <clears throat> She just made it a stressful place, and I'm, I'm not sure why. But a month in, she just said she texted me. She said, um, "Javon, we don't need we don't need your services anymore." <laughs> I was actually um, home when she texted me that, and I was like, um, "Okay, <laughs> I guess I'm out of a job." And and funny enough, it was such a relief. I was like, "This," I felt like the the burden was lifted off of me, and. I didn't know what my next opportunity was. I didn't know what my, I didn't have anything lined up, but I was The stress told. and anxiety wasn't worth it. Right, right, mm -hmm. right. So it just, it, I never thought that being fired would be such a, a, a relief 
it was like every all the weight came off me because I wasn't going in tomorrow morning. I wasn't going there because that was that place was stressing me out at that point. And I actually, funny enough, no job, no no prospects. What I did, I I went to Jamaica with my family. We went on vacation. <laughs> funny enough. So we we went away. We took like two weeks, three weeks. We were there and not knowing what we're coming back to or anything or and so maybe people would say you're crazy you know you need to save money or you need to you know but we want to and, and family say, families is newly married or yes yes yeah, yeah. married at that time and um it it, it was because i got married in 16 so that was two, that was two years in and we had a great time and it was such a, a refresher we came back and ready to go and i started looking i started seriously looking at new um, at jobs and different places and and <laughs> funny enough i almost got a job in back to work at my law school i applied and it was a position to work in um diversity they wanted me to come there and try to and try to be like this liaison for the minority students and I said you know this this would be a great opportunity and I went up there and I did a series of interviews and they were going to hire me and the day that they were going to hire me I got an offer to work for the board of legislators because I've sent out my resume to different places and I said move my whole family back up to Albany or take this job at the Board of Legislators. So that's what I did. I, I, I stayed here. And I mean, this was the same day. And when I called them, they said to me, are you sure that you don't want this? Because we'll try to match what they're paying. And I told them what they were paying. And I said, OK, maybe I can't match that. But oh, the, the school was trying to match what you're going to get right, with the county. Right. I got you. Got you. And I said, you know, it, it, this is a great, it, it, it's a great problem to have, you know. Because going from having no prospects to having, you know, almost people competing over you, over you, and it, it, it was definitely an improvement from where I was a couple of weeks back, you know. So I took the job at the Board of Legislators, and and this is a county position. This is a county position. Okay, so so listeners should know mm -hmm. the controller's office. Your role there was city, city. city city um related four square miles of mount vernon got you and so, so from city to being let go vacation limited right. prospects to having an opportunity with the law school to now being hired as the county legislator what does in the scheme of things for listeners county now means what um well in terms of expanse or reach <laughs> it's definitely a bigger basket I tell you that. <laughs> so there i was the um the, the the budget analyst for i'm sorry the the fiscal analyst for the board of legislators so what that means is that i had 17 bosses now <laughs> 17 the 17 legislators for the county of westchester and i report to all 17 so at any given time, they can ask me to do whatever they need, as well as prepare, help in the, the budget preparation for the county. So it, it was, I'm telling you one thing, that working at the, the Board of Legislators was one of the greatest jobs that I've had because they, it was such a family there. Um, the work atmosphere was, was great, it, everyone, Everyone were just like family. We ate together. We knew each other's kids. We knew each other's, you know, um, significant others. And it was always a, a, a good day going into the office. You never, you never said, all right, I don't want to go into work today. So yeah, I, I really appreciate it, especially coming from the high stressed environment that I was working at before. So God worked it out for me. And Javon, I have a lot of, um school administrators who listen to the podcast and obviously mm -hmm. for them it allows them to expose the, ch the kids the students to career opportunities and right. career options walk us through what your role is currently what is your day-to-day -day like 
for these administrators and students who are listening? And, and working at the county? Yes. Okay, so uh, after the Board of Legislators, so recently I left there, so the board, so now I'm in the budget office. So, which is a different branch of government. So we went to legislative. So, 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 if, you, so if you want to, you could tell them what the first position entailed and what okay. the current one does. Um, the, the, the first one was basically, it, it's kind of the, the eyes and ears for the legislators. Um, there's a lot of moving parts as far as the, the county's budget. And there's different um, you know, projects happening every day, playland, the different golf courses, the different. So you, you basically, you, you got to keep all the legislators um, at their bequest up to speed of to what's going on. Whether it may be, you know, having the reports ready, having the, the analysts ready, whatever it may be. So that, that's what you do on a daily, daily basis. And then uh, obviously when it gets closer to budget time, which is now like, you know, September, October, November into December, then it, it gets a little bit more busy where you're sitting down with them and trying to figure out what their needs are. Because remember, they represent, there's 17 different um, um, sectors of the, the county, you know, all the way up from North Salem down to Mount Vernon, you know, the, the different um, regions. And they have different needs. So you have to tell them basically, or, you know, translate to them what they want financially. They want this program for their count, um, their, their constituents. They want this building built. They want this implemented, this program implemented and how feasible it is and how to get it done and, and those kind of things. So that's what you do during budget season. And with your current role, same, um, so yeah, so I, moving down to the budget department, it's a little different because like I said before, when I was working with the legislators, so being that they're the, the lawmaking branch of government, they have a different role. So now I'm, I'm working for the executive and it's a lot of um, <clears throat> more say, what can we do and what can we do, not do? You know, it's, it's, it's more about the bottom line, you know, so. I found that working with the legislators, it was always, um, I guess, an, an optimistic view or a, a view just what can we do to for the people? How, how can we, you know, increase spending in some way or what, what programs can we add? And the budget department is almost the opposite. It's where it's, it's a bottom line. It's, if it's not feasible, if, it's, if the county can't afford it, we're cutting it, you know, or we're, we're you know, th th that kind of thing. So it's... Um, and not to say that we're not trying to implement all these programs, but it's a, it's, I guess it's a deeper look at a harder look at spending than maybe we did so at the, the legislative side. What are the best parts of your day and what are the most challenging parts of your day to day? Well, the best part of my day is that, um, you know, to be honest, it's a great working environment. I have some good folks there in the budget department. Um, my days, it's similar to, it's similar to how I was in the controller's office. So the meetings tend to be with the commissioners now, again. So I'm meeting with, you know, police commissioner, um, corrections, um, the DA's office, you know, sometimes we sit down with the DA and the probation office. Those are some of my departments. And yeah, it, it, it's it's a good thing to, you know, these are obviously, you know, very powerful people who have a, a, a huge say on how, let's say, corrections is run, how our penal system is handled, and having them look at my insight or have, or, you know, take into con consideration my suggestions or, you know, because at the end of the day, if, um, if anything that I, do, I, I tend to disagree with, I have the power to cut it from their budget so they tend to you know listen with open ears and, and, and such so yeah it's it's a good it's a good experience in that it's a good situation to be in in that sense that you you do have a a lot of say on how um maybe policy is implemented just by the your your the way you're able to manipulate their budget or you know add or cut things that 
you feel should or should not be in, in you know, in their spending plans. And you, you asked about um, difficult. It's a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of meticulous work. And you just really have to be meticulous and pay attention to the details because sometimes um, there's a story that could be told in the numbers and <laughs> you could miss it if you're not paying attention closely. We will return after a short break. Anything you'd have done differently in terms of your trajectory, your journey, looking back? Um, I, I can't say that I, I, I could because everything that I planned to do, I wasn't able, I, I wasn't able to do it. I, I, you know, God's had something different from me. So all my plans were, were, were altered by something that I couldn't foresee. And it, it worked out because, like I said, I was disappointed I didn't get the senior counter position, you know, and God had the, the deputy positions for me. Um, and I was fired, you know, I mean, <laughs> you can't plan for to be terminated. You know, that's not something that you, you know, you anticipate, but it was such a, a, a blessing mentally, emotionally, and I mean, financially, I mean, it, it, what God had in store for me was bigger and, and better. So to so, so, so go back and say, could I have done it differently? No, this is, this is the path that was predestined for me and, and I'm, I'm thankful. Anything you can share with listeners who are trying to find their way and have no connections or limited resources from your journey that you've identified? Anything that you could say to them regarding getting visible, getting uh, contacts? Yeah, um, go out there, you know, make, your, make yourself available. <clears throat> I did a lot of volunteering. Um, I guess I, I met, it, it's difficult, you know, to even with credentials, because yeah, I, I had a lot of education, but without knowing the right people and having the, making the right connections, it's still very hard, you know? So it is important to get yourself out there to networking, you know, meeting the right folks. So I would encourage people to get involved with locally, you know, maybe volunteer at your the local Democratic Party or or volunteer at, you know, other establishments that even the soup kitchen, stuff like that, because a lot of folks go out there because and help. So you, you can meet someone there that could put you in the right direction. So, yeah, you definitely networking is is ideal. It's key. I, I can't emphasize that enough. Networking is people say it, it's almost become cliche, but unfortunately, that's that's the way of life, you know. Your resume, your credentials, is, is, is just not enough because, number one, a lot of people are going to school. A lot of people are, 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 are boosting their resume. So you have to get yourself known. There's no way around it. Is information readily available for those looking to volunteer like you did? How did you? Well, obviously, your dad knew um, the controller, but for others in other cities... How do they go about um, finding volunteering opportunities? There's, there's, there's always, I mean, my, my path ended up being political. So that's what I could speak on. Um, like I said, the, you can go in, go down to the Democratic Party headquarters and say, I want to sign up. I want to volunteer, you know. What do you need me to do? And that you were able to do this while having a full-time job absolutely because mo most elected officials are have full-time jobs or so most of the, the the meetings and stuff are after hours you know in the evening so there's always time <clears throat> yep so javon you gave us a lot of gems your stories very very inspiring anything else you want listeners to to know about uh, this journey, many may be in a place where they're between career options or they're trying to decide or 
they, they, they pursued a degree, completed it, but aren't sure whether this is something they should uh, pursue. What do you say to those people in the Valley of Decision? I mean, like myself, I mean, I never practiced law yet, but it definitely has opened tremendous doors for me, you know. Um, <clears throat> I would say that a lot of times I, I've been in a place where I said, I should be further along, or I should, I should want to, I, I want to do, I should be doing more than I'm doing now, you know, and then other people may look at me and say, you're doing great stuff, you know, and so your bar, your goals are your goals, you know, and there's nothing wrong with wanting more from yourself, but at the same time, just, you have to keep perspective of the bigger picture and the blessings that you do have. You know, and I, I, that's that's what I never want to lose sight of, all the, the the great things that God has done for me thus far, and it and it doesn't it it, it it's not going to stop me for aspiring for more or aspiring to do greater things, but never lose sight of where where God has brought you from. That's awesome. Could you tell listeners? where they can follow what's happening with the county and even if you feel inclined your own personal journey i don't know if you're a big social media person but if that's something you want to share please do that as well okay so i'll sh i'll share this with you so as as you may know or some may know there's there's a lot of um <clears throat> there's a lot of rustling about me running for the current controller seat, which is up um, next year. The election would be, uh, the primaries would be June, 2021. And a lot of, you know, sitting council folks, a lot of elect, former elected officials, um, I've sat down with them, I've sat with the mayor, I've sat with a lot of folks that, you know, possibly feel as if it would be a good idea for me to run. And as flattering as it, it may be, um, it's definitely something that I've considered. I mean, I run that office already, but to say to leave your county job and start this new um, task, it's a lot. And if my family and everyone was on board 100%, or then I would really consider it. But it, it's a lot to think about. And we talked before, my, my daughter is about to be two years old. And I've, I've helped people run their campaigns before and past, and I can tell you that it's a lot of time. It's a lot of time, it's a lot of effort, it's a lot of time away from your family, and even more so when you're the actual candidate, you know. A lot of times I was able to go home, you know, while the candidate was still working. So it's a, it's a big undertaking, and it's something that I still need to think about. And, but Early polls say that, you know, I might be the front runner if I were to enter in the race. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good and um, a humbling thing to, you know, for folks in your community to say that you've done such a good job that we want you back. You know, I, I definitely appreciate it. And we could talk hypothetically because, of course, you haven't decided yet. Right, right. But should that be the decision that you are running what would you bring to the controller's office in addition to as we've indicated your experience what would uh, voters be ensured uh concerning your run um i would say uh, people always say transparency you know being transparent but uh, I, I don't think the average person knows what is going on day to day with their, their, their finances. I mean, whether you own a home or and you pay taxes or you rent and you pay taxes indirectly, with everyone who lives here spends money um, that goes to that office. So they should have an idea. They should be a, an avenue for them to easily, you know, see what's happening, see how the spending is, um, how things are allocated, because it's as if you, if you don't go to town hall meetings and there's really no way to know, there's really no way to have this, um, these discussions unless you personally called up your controller yourself, call up your city councilman yourself. So um, I want to bring some 
of real transparency. So that's that's modern, you know. You can log in, get on your smartphones and and see where we are. See our first quarter forecast, see our second quarter, where where are we today? How much taxes we collected? What did we spend it on? Um, how more ideas for raising money? These these type of things where you don't have to, you know, give up your afternoons to come into a town hall meeting. You don't have to write your elected official. You can just open up your smartphone and and get on there and see what's going on. I mean, a lot of different municipalities are doing this, so I'm not sure why we haven't here in Mount Vernon. And other things too, um, just a level of professionalism. I mean, we too often we've been in the media on the wrong side of spats and battles and you know amongst elected officials and to be honest it's 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 disappointing because we're one of the only black run governments in new york state so the fact that we are probably one of the most dysfunctionals arguably that it's it's embarrassing you know and even here when i work in at the county you know of course these folks have disagreements but it just never plays out the way it plays out, you know, real ugly in the media, like it does in Mount Vernon. And they come in, they knock on my door when I'm at work, they stick their head in my office, Javon, what's going on in the controller's office? What's going on in the mayor's office? What's happening down there? And and they laugh, they joke about it, but I never laugh because it's sensitive to me. And and I, I just wanna I would want to bring a level of professionalism that maybe we've lost sight of. You know, there's there's a way to do things and there's a way not to do things. You know, there's a way to disagree. You know, and and still be respectful of your you know your compadres. That's that's how it works. That's how everyone else seems to be able to do it. So why can't we hear Mel Vernon? Thank you so much, Javon Boxhill, for sharing with us about your journey, walking us through. Uh, your accomplishments and some of your setbacks and inspiring us with just a reminder that once we keep our options open and once we uh, wait on God, he can open up many doors for us. Uh, thank you for being an inspiration. We look forward to uh, your journey wherever it may take you. And certainly um, if you should run, um, I believe based on your experience and your willingness to meet the needs of members of commu the community that you would do a great job. Thank you for sharing your time with the Waterword podcast. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for inviting me on. Thank you, man. Meaning you ever been in the airport and when you don't get your flight on time, you get delayed and you could be standing by some people and they get mad and they almost make you mad. You're like, man, I wasn't even trying to get mad, but they making me mad. Never even realizing life may be protecting you from something. Like it's like the 9-11 incident. I was doing some research on it. I'll never forget. I'm doing research on it. Terrible incident. A lot of people lost their lives. Senseless act. And it talked about in this article the other side of it. And in the other side, what they spoke about was that morning, a gentleman had to take his daughter to kindergarten and he really wanted to get to some meetings, but because he had to take his daughter to kindergarten, he couldn't make it to the meetings on time. And so he just called out the whole day and his wife asked him that morning, he was getting dressed. His wife said to him, can you please take our daughter to kindergarten? He said, I really need to be at these meetings. She said, can you please take our daughter to kindergarten? I really need to be at work. He said, I really need to get to these meetings. She asked him one more time, can you please? I begged you, can you please? I said, all right, I'll do it. He called in, didn't go to work that day. And because he took his daughter to kindergarten, it spared his life. One gentleman on the New Jersey Turnpike headed to the same buildings, New Jersey Turnpike. Accident happens, breaks down, can't get there on time. And because it happened, a situation that he couldn't control and spared his life. One gentleman got a new pair of shoes, walking to work, got a blister on his foot. He had to go back home, change his shoes, and because he had to go back home to change it, it saved his life. One gentleman walking down the street, they send him to get some donuts. A guy comes, spills some coffee on his shirt. He had to go and change his shirt. Because he had to go and change his shirt, it spared his life. The other side 
meaning things happening out of their control, and because it happened out of their control, it spared their life, meaning at a certain point, when do we control the controllable's attitude? When do we control the controllable focus? When do we control the controllable's commitment, dedication, spirit, the energy and the passion that I bring into an environment? When do we control the controllable? I couldn't control, I got a paralyzed right arm and hand. I couldn't. I couldn't control my career ended. I couldn't, I couldn't even plan for it. But when it happened, I could step back and say, okay, life, I can no longer play the game of football, but let me extract that dedication and commitment from the game. I could step back and say, my arm and my hand is paralyzed. My dedication isn't, my purpose isn't. My arm and my hand is paralyzed. My work ethic, it isn't, my purpose isn't. My arm and my hand is paralyzed. My dedication isn't, my purpose isn't. Meaning my reason for why I first started, it never got paralyzed. And as talented, as brilliant, as strong as people are, it's the saddest thing in the world when I see people just stop giving everything they got to something that they once loved. Because I think we all know the raw truth of it is, people don't burn out because of what they do. People burn out because life makes them forget why they do it. 